Good morning. Whoa. Yes, I am on. Good morning. What a wonderful Sunday. You get to see uh, some uh, old friends. Elise made it. I didn't know. I don't know how you drove with that hip, Lance. How did you do that? Northern Cal, huh? How long are you guys staying? Monday. Okay. Okay. Well, it's good to see you guys. We love you guys. You were dear to us. And uh, I don't want to embarrass my professor here. This is my professor, Tim Sled. Uh, he demolishes me in jiu-jitsu all the time. But he's a very kind teacher and a very compassionate teacher, very detailed. If your kids are looking for something, just want to let you know. But uh, I'm just glad he's here. And I think that's it, right? Everyone else? Uh, are, is, uh, everyone else is still here? All right. Still alive, still going, passed through the stomach flu, right? All right, all right. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. We're wading through this, and as I was studying the book of Ephesians, um, I wanted to do sections uh, four to the, uh, verses 4 to 10, uh, but then as I studied it more and more, I wanted to really, really spend time on just one point, actually. Uh, this morning, I remember. You know, um, I went to I went to college at UCSB Santa Barbara, and I remember when I was there, uh, God had just saved me. I was I got saved in high school, and I went to uh, college, and um, God put it on my heart uh, to pray, and I said, God, would you use me? I don't know how to be used here. Um, I had just been saved for maybe a year or two. I think it was my sophomore year. And I was asking, God, would you just use me for your glory? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just use me. And I remember it was like, um, it was the first day there. I wanted to get there early to get all my stuff in my dormitory put away. Um, my roommate was coming. And so, you know, you wanted to get as much space as you can before he did, right? So as I, as I was there, uh, I just prayed on the floor because I didn't know what else to do, right? No one taught me a position to pray. I just, I just thought that was the thing you do. So I just prayed on the floor. And I got up, and I, after asking God to use me, I promise you, it was just about maybe 20 minutes. In 20 minutes, okay, uh, my friend from freshman year came. Now, this was my sophomore year. So my friend came down the hallway, and you got to understand this guy. I won't tell you his name, okay? But this guy, man, he had braids coming down here. His pants were all cut up, um, holes everywhere. Uh, his shirt had all kinds of spray paint because he liked to tag on walls and stuff like that. Um, I don't even know how he got into college, right? But as I talked to him, I was just thinking, God, is this... The person you want me to share the gospel with. I was just talking to him. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just got saved. So my first question was, hey, bud, uh, how's your relationship with God? That's how my conversation started. And because I didn't take an evangelism class. No one trained me on how to do that, right? And he just sat there dumbstruck. Like I said the thing that would pierce him. I, I just remember this clear as day. He was sitting on the floor with his messed up jeans, paint all over him, braids hanging down. 
And he said, it's really, really terrible. My relationship with God is terrible. And I asked him, are you saved? Do you know Christ? He'll forgive you of your sins. And, you know, what was funny is, is he was the one guy I didn't think would respond. You know, you think in your mind, there's some people who will respond, and some people who you think wouldn't respond, and some people you think would respond. He was the one guy I didn't think would respond. But God taught me a lesson that way, that he decides who he wants to save. He decides who he wants to change. And after a course of weeks, the first week, he professed faith in Christ. And I just started to disciple him. I started meeting, meeting with him one-on-one, -on -one, just like we do, right? Going through basic Bible doctrine with him. And as we just marched down, parts, you, you just see he was really responding to the truth. And his life started to change. Now, I didn't know this, but he used to sneak at night and go to the student quad and tag our, our plaza there, right? Right? And what he also used to do before was he used to go to CD shops. You know, do you remember what CDs are? You guys remember that? Because he had loose pants, he would just put them in there, right? Just take all, all these CDs. I didn't tell him. I didn't, I didn't uh, direct him. He just one day grabbed all the CDs that he stole, went to the CD store, and he said, I've stolen all of these. I want to pay for all of them, or you can, you can send me to jail because I shoplifted. And I didn't tell him. I didn't direct him. I didn't guide him, but I didn't. I, I, and I just wondered, what in the world can account for such a dramatic change? Well, brothers and sisters, in the text, the Bible says that you must be born again. And the Bible says that when God grabs a hold of your life, he changes you indefinitely. He changes you forever. I like the songs that uh, Andre picked this morning. Um, and one of them in particular, um, behold, what does it say? Uh, the the uh, old is gone, the new has come. He has made us into new creatures. So if you have notes, I think there's notes back there. Is, are they all gone? Are they all gone? I think they're all gone. Um, were you able to get it? Okay, so Nelson was able to get it on electronically. If you could share that link again, can you put it back up? Yeah. Um, Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. I'm going to read the, uh, the flow so we can get the context. We remember that he talks about, Paul talks about being dead to trespasses and sins in verse 1. And then verse 4 he says, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in him, in them. 
God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would live a Christ-glorifying life to its fullest potential. God gave this passage from 4 to 10 so that you would live a Christ-glorifying life to its fullest potential. And I'm only going to concentrate on one point. We have four points here, okay, four sub-points. But I'm only going to concentrate on one point, and maybe next week we'll do three to four. We'll see how it goes. But I just didn't want to rush through this. But verses 4 and 5 is going to be my concentration this morning. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So the point here, if you're following along in the outline, is number one, walk righteously because God resurrected you. Walk righteously because God resurrected you. He he says this word here, this phrase, verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, made us alive together in him. God acted kindly in you. After Paul describes your deadness in sins, notice he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It was the air that we breathe. When he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, it's not just the action of trespasses and sins. What he is talking about is the sphere and the realm in which you lived. You only desired that which you wanted to do in your own heart. The Bible describes us apart from Christ. We have no desire to please the living God. We have no desire to follow the true Christ. We have no desire to follow the God of the Bible. God has to do a work in our hearts first. If you were to continue on in your life, notice he says here in verse 3, this is just uh, by way of review, you were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We, We took a study of what the word nature meant. Nature is all that composites man. Nature is the composition of man. His mind, his will, and his heart are tainted by sin. He must do a complete regeneration, which means to make us alive. See, the problem with man is not just that he needs his sins forgiven. Is that true? Absolutely. Man needs his sins forgiven. But man also needs his whole constitutional makeup cleansed. Now, what is the basis of my forgiveness? The basis of my forgiveness is simply what Christ has done on the cross. That doesn't change. It is the finished and complete work of Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay, come on. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. It is the finished and complete work of Christ. And that is what we call a forensic act of God. It acts on the outside. When God looks upon you, he sees the sacrifice of Christ, and you're connected to him by faith, and he declares you as a legal and binding, uh, as a legal and binding declaration, not guilty, completely righteous. Right? That is on the outside. Now, if you think about regeneration, regeneration is what God does on the inside. So it's not just that my sins are forgiven, but I need to be changed. I need to be reformed. I need to be regenerated. See, um, Steve said it this way. 
uh, our, my old pastor said it this way, who's gone on to be with the Lord. Man doesn't just need objective atonement. Okay, that is justification, right? But a subjective renewal. Man's evil deeds are not only what offends God. Man's heart does as well. You remember the text says, by nature, children of wrath, because of man's nature of sin, he is unfit for heaven. Because of man's deeds of sin, he is unacceptable to God. Now, that's all by way of review. And remember, we don't leave you there. Amen? This is why I love this verse in verse 4. But God, he changes. He gives us the bad news first. And then he says what? But God. And he changes to this glorious act so that you appreciate and you value the work that God has done in your life. Now notice, he says, but God being rich in mercy, this regeneration is initiated by God. The word there for rich means well-to-do, abounding, ample, abundant. The word there for mercy means clemency, compassion, pity, to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Bible speaks much of God's mercy and his compassion. How he looks upon a people who don't deserve it. And he says there in Isaiah 63, you don't have to turn, I'll just read it for you. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all the Lord has granted us and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, you see another related term, compassion. If you remember, this is what moves God to action. Okay. What moves him in Mark chapter 6 is he says, And he went ashore. He saw a great multitude, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. So God's mercy can be described this way. It is his readiness and willingness to act on those on behalf of those who are in dire need. So what drove God to come to us to interrupt our lives? What drove God to interrupt into your life? What drove God to show you the glories of who Christ is? It was his mercy. He took pity on you. And then he says here, it was executed by God because it says, because of his love with which he loved us. And notice, notice how Paul answers the question. Okay? Now we would just we would say, humanly speaking, God loved me because I'm so great. God loved me because I had the intelligence to choose him. God loved me because you know what? Um, I deduced by way of logic that Christ was the only way, and so that's the reason why he loved me. No, that's not what the text says. You notice how Paul puts it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says what? What does he say? He says, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. The word there for loved, and we've talked about this before. There are many different words for love in the New Testament, about five or six. But the word here is agape. And this word agape means to love even at the expense of sacrificing self, 
for the object, irrespective of any benefits received. So what agape love is, is God is saying that I will love the object whether or not the object loves me back. And this makes sense. Because if you look in chapter, uh, in verse 1, he says we were dead in trespasses and sins. If he were to look upon us and to try and conjure up some kind of reason why he should expend his love for us, it would be spent on itself. You understand? There would be no reason for him to give us love. And so what God, because he is, remember First John says, God is love because he is love in, in him of himself. He loved because he loved. Amen. I remember when I was in the Philippines and we were trying to exp- explain this. Explain why would God have mercy on sinful men who spurn his name, who use his name as a curse word. Still, why would God have mercy? on people who mock him, right? Why would he have mercy? And, uh, I, and, uh, and he says, why? Why does he love us? And I use this verse, and I love to say it. He loves you. Are you, are you ready? He loves you because he loves you. Amen. He set his affection. He sent his son to redeem you. Oh, Christian. Oh, Christian. You get a flat tire and you start to doubt the love of God. You forget to pay a bill and your cell phone gets cut off and you doubt the love of God. It seems pretty silly, doesn't it? Because the God of the universe has proven his love for you by by the blood of his son. And he says, I'm al- I love you. And I made you alive. Why, God? Why? You ever sit there and think, God, why? And his answer is simply because I love you. Amen? Amen? Amen. The love that he himself supplies comes from within his own nature. Our nature was spiritual deadness. His is mercy and love. He had to move first. I remember when we were back up in Northern California, we were doing a homeschool project with our kids. And so we started a whole garden, and I think we went a little crazy. We had herbs and vegetables, and everything was just growing out of control. And then I started reading, oh, look, there's composting. You guys ever try that? So we started composting, and... And as we had these composters, man, they stunk up, right? You had to keep aerating them and aerating them. And every once in a while, Carlo and I would open it up, and then we'd see these big, thick grub worms just eating, eating and eating. And you know what? I was averted to them. Does that make sense? By nature. Are you following? By nature, I did not want to be around them. You understand? Their nature caused me to have disgust. Okay. Now, I only say this because this is how God describes it in his word, but he doesn't leave you there. Notice he says here, follow. He says in verse 3, by nature, children of wrath. And in Psalm 7, 
It says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. So what it, when it comes to us, we are like, can, if I can use the metaphor, we are like the grub worms. We had no inkling of goodness in us. Now, people are going to say, well, I know good people, right? I know good people who do good things. What we're saying is, in the heart of hearts, they're not doing it for the glory of God. And what I'm saying is that there is no desirable aspect in us. Why did God love a worm like Angelo? Simply because he expended his love towards me. And you know this. Right? I remember in high school I had three buddies. My three buddies. I was so close to them. We went to Community Bible Church. The gospel was preached. There's nothing. Uh, we didn't have any different education. We didn't have any different, anything different like that. But I heard the gospel and God acted on me and I was shown his love. And my life was changed. Now, God acted in kindness. It was rooted in his character. But also, God acted powerfully in you. He acted kindly in you, but he acted powerfully in you. Now, let's take a look at this phrase, okay? Made us alive together. Simply, it means, it's actually one word, okay? It's actually one word. It's a conjunction of the root, and then it's a prefix, together. He made us alive together with someone. And here, the context is Christ. It's also used one other place in Colossians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses, your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him. The word describes made us alive, and we use this doctrine. We call this word the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration is, is described in different ways in the Bible. Okay? And this is the most basic, basic teaching of Christianity that is often mistaken and not understood. When God saves, he renews always. Now notice, he says here, um, I think one way uh, to define regeneration, I think you may have it in your notes if you have it. Um, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones defines it like this, okay? Regeneration is an act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in man and the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. Okay, I'll say that again. Regeneration is an act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in man, and the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. It is God's internal work in the believer. Those who truly have faith in Christ have already been regenerated, changed. It's a result of God's power. Man is a passive recipient of this. Regeneration is not believing. Okay? Why? Because you can't coax this. You can't make this. You're not a baby who says, I want to be born now. I'm the one who defines when I'm going to be born. Okay? Regeneration is not like that. Regeneration is not believing. God causes regeneration, and then you believe. Let me show you some texts to describe what regeneration is. 
It is God's intervening in your life. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to do a little Bible study because I want, to, I want you to feel the whole gamut, to see the whole gamut of what, how Scripture describes what regeneration is. It is an intervention in life. It is an uh, interruption, if you may, of your current course, right? Notice in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, here we see it again, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here he makes no uh, he doesn't back up. He doesn't even make an explanation. He just simply says, God causes this. You see that? God causes this. God causes this new birth. It is an exertion of power in your life. Let's go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Come on in. James chapter 1. It is an exertion of God's power. Chapter 1 and verse 18, he says here, uh, let me start with verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Verse 18, in, here it is, okay? The exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among the creatures. Here, what God is saying about the rebirth is that he explodes with creative power. He exerts his power. Even in 2 Corinthians, as it talks about light shining in the darkness, God, every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it is a miracle. I mean, look at our world. Look at what's against us. Look at, look at the philosophies that are being taught. Look at the news. That someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is a miracle of God. It is an exertion of his will. I think we see it too, too normally. It's, it's supernatural. We have to see salvation as supernatural. It is God exerting. We also know it's described as in a new birth. You could write that, John chapter 3. But here you have to see this. It's described as a new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. This is the text we were alluding to before. The new birth is. Described as a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He has become a new creation of God. New creation. It's also described as a new washing. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus. 
doing a little Bible study here. Okay? Titus, Titus chapter 3. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, right? Titus chapter 3. Notice this is the text that uh, Mike read. And verse, I'll start with verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, that would be justification. And then he goes, and then he moves on to regeneration. By the, what does it say? The washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what God does is he washes you internally. Okay? He changes your mind. He changes your heart. He changes your will. I remember, I remember clearly before I was saved, I wanted to go out at night and I wanted to sin and I wanted to chase it and I loved it. And then when I got saved and Christ showed me his glory, my heart was changed and I hated my sin. And now whenever I engaged in it, my heart was heavy and I had to ask for forgiveness and I had to pursue and, and repent and pursue Christ. Do you know what that is? Young person, do you know what that is? Or is this the faith of your parents only? Do you know what that is? Has your heart been changed? It's described as a new birth, a new creation, a new washing. We have to look at Ezekiel 36 because it's described as a new heart. This is the new covenant. This is what God had promised in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel chapter 36, in verse 24, verse 24, uh, let's start at 25. I will sprinkle, this is, Regeneration, okay? Notice he says this, future tense, okay? From the perspective of the Old Testament, this is what's going to happen in the New Covenant, and he calls it that, right? He says in verse 25, notice, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Okay, there's the imagery back to Titus 3. You remember that? The washing. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. And here is the glorious truth, what he promises. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You want to know what, you want to know the reason why people won't turn to Christ? You want to know the reason why they mock him? You want to know the reason why he's just one, one other religion instead of the unique Son of God is because they have hearts of stone. And you were like that too. Until God moved on your heart by his spirit. And he removed your heart of stone. And he gave you a heart of flesh. And now you desire God. That's why you read your Bible. And that's why you're here at church. And that's why you desire to be with his people. Because in your heart beats his own. You understand? 
This is a miraculous work that God does. And this is what we have to pray for. Enough with the morality, just simple morality, Christian morality. We don't teach that. That doesn't change people. We believe that the heart needs to be changed, and then the life will be changed. Notice the order. He says here, I will put a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. And then what happens? Cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God's way is this. I change the heart. Then the life follows. I have a relative who keeps talking to me. I keep sharing the gospel to him. He keeps saying, well, I need to change my life. I need to change my life before I could step into church. I need to change my life before I read the Bible. I keep telling him, you will never come. You will never come. You will never come because why? You're not going to get there. See, all that the world can do is simply change outside things. They trade one sin for another. If it's alcohol, they trade it for another sin. They just keep trading and trading. But what does God do? He does the internal heart surgery that no one else can do. He removes that heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh, and then you walk in his statutes. And when you walk away, you hate it. No one even has to tell you, right? When your heart, when you walk away, you know, I did wrong, God. Forgive me. What accounts for that? It's not culture. It's not morality per se. It is God working in your heart. Remember that song we sang, Stronger? He's stronger. He breaks the dominion of sin. Now, will you sin? Absolutely. You have remnant of sin. Romans chapter 7 teaches that. We could talk about that later. But what we, what we are saying about regeneration is the predominance, the dominating principle of you now is the love of Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay, one of my favorite preachers. Probably my favorite. Spurgeon. Okay, I'm going to read this quote. If you have the notes, you could read it. Uh, if not, just listen along. Okay. What, says one, do you mean, say, that God absolutely interposes in the salvation of every man to make him regenerate? I do indeed, in the salvation of every person, there is an actual putting forth of divine power, whereby the dead sinner is quickened. He's using old English. Quickened means to be made alive. The unwilling sinner is made willing. The desperate hard sinner has his conscience made tender. He who rejected God and despised Christ is brought to cast himself down at the feet of Jesus. If you like it or not, quarrel with my master, not with me. I do but simply declare his own revelation that there must be in your heart something more than you can ever work there. There must be a divine operation. Call it a miraculous operation if you please. It is in some sense so. There must be a divine interposition, a divine working, a divine influence, or else do what you may. Without that, you perish and are undone. For except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 3. The change is so radical, it gives us new natures makes us love what we hated, hate what we loved, 
sets us in a new road, makes our habits different, our thoughts different, makes us different in private and different in public. So that being in Christ, it is fulfilled. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's Spurgeon. Man, I wish I could write like him. He says, even, notice he continues in Ephesians. In Ephesians, here's another, another point. That this was a display of power. We see that, remember in James, it was an exertion of power. But it was a display of power against that which is hostile to him. You follow? That's why Paul says in verse uh, chapter 2, um, uh, where are we at? Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Notice that phrase. Okay? He could have just said, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. But he put the phrase, even when we were dead, in our transgressions. And the reason why he puts, put that is to emphasize the power by which God exerted. It was against the deadness of our sins. It was against the hostility you could even talk about. The hatred of God, the hatred of authority over us, God acted upon. Um, I got another quote. Uh, God's power is revealed in the overcoming of the hostility of our sin against him. And I'll read this. Uh, this is Jonathan Edwards. You got to read this. Uh, f- uh, follow with me, okay? Uh, let me read from there. And then the production of the last effect is a more glorious manifestation of power than the work of creation. You have to follow him. Edwards is hard to follow, okay? Because though in creation the terms are very distant, as nothing is very remote from being, yet there is no opposition. What he's saying is, when God exerted effort to create, he brought it out of nothing. We call it ex nihilo, okay? Out of nothing. In fact, when he creates, there's nothing stopping him. There's nothing resisting him. But then Edward says this, but in redemption, the divine power meets with and overcomes great opposition. The opposition that is exuded now is our sin against him, the devil against him, world against him. And so what's going on now is that when God saves a sinner, okay, he exerts more power than he did at creation. Why? Because creation was brought out of nothing. When he recreated you, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, when he recreated you, he fought a rebellious, cursing, bitter, angry, you pick your sin, that was you. He fought that and he won and he defeated it and he brought you and now you're tender and you love and you love one another and you love Christ and you love his word. Oh, oh, can you praise him? I'm a different person now. I'm not, I'm not enslaved by my lust. I'm not enslaved by my bitterness. I don't have to be that way anymore. I've been bought. I've been changed. God has worked in my life. I'm never going back. Amen? 
And he ends, of course, all through it, he says, being rich in mercy because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have us. Of course, of course. Anything that you experience in this Christian life, it is simply because of your bond with him by faith. Have you been renewed? Have you been regenerated? Saint, are you struggling with sin? Go back. Repent. He'll take you back. If there are those who are here who don't know what this means, notice in verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses. You formerly walked. If you don't have a formerly, which you could look back at, you may not know the date, but you have to have a former life because that's what God saved you out of. If you haven't had that, you haven't known regeneration. You haven't been made alive. But the Christians know. Amen? Amen? Thank you, God, that we come this morning. Thank you for the friends who are here. Thank you that you you change us. We didn't deserve it. We were like, we were in our filth, God. We were in our filth. And you had mercy on us. Each of us, by name, you had mercy. We pray, God, use us as vessels of mercy. We desire to share your gospel here in Oceanside and Vista. In Carlsbad, use us, God. Bring Marines, God. Bring families. Bring the low and the downcast. Bring bring everyone, God, that they may repent of their sins. Be removed from sin and transgression and fall in love with this kind and merciful and loving Savior who loves us simply because he loves us for his glory. Help us to sing. May we celebrate. In fellowship, in Jesus' name, amen.